0: my message today is the struggle is real until it's not the struggle is real until it's not there is a story if you will i have never watched the movie but i cut the premise of it so i studied the plot it's the wizard of oz and in this story the main character, her name is Dorothy, other than the wizard, of course, but the, her name is Dorothy. <clears throat> Rather strange story, actually. But Dorothy ends up unconscious. And in her unconscious state, she dreams that she is lost from her home and she can't find where how to get back. She finds herself in a place called Oz, this weird and, I don't know if it's wonderful, weird and strange place called Oz. And she is led to believe that there is a wizard in the land of Oz who can help her get home. And so she goes to that wizard, but on her way to find the wizard, she makes some friends. She makes friends with a scarecrow, a tin man, and a lion. And just like Dorothy, they were looking for something. Dorothy was looking for home. The lion, the scarecrow, and the tin man, they were looking for something. The tin man was looking for a heart. The scarecrow looking for a brain and the, the lion looking for courage. So here they are, all are in pursuit of something. So they come to, to what they thought was this grand and wonderful wizard. Only they never saw the wizard because the wizard was behind a curtain. And this wizard, so-called wizard spoke from behind the curtain. And Dorothy and her friends asked if he could help. He said, sure, I can help. But first you have to prove yourself. And the way you must prove yourself... Is by finding this wicked witch, and I want you need to steal from that wicked witch her scepter. In other words, defeat this wicked witch. You bring that scepter back to me. You've proven yourself, and then I'll give you what you're looking for. So they do. They go about this, and they you know, like make a long story short. Defeated the wicked witch. They got the scepter, brought it back to the wizard, and thinking that they would get what they had been promised. And, but lo and behold, the the wizard, he delays in giving them what he had promised. And so in their anger, remember they haven't seen the wizard yet, he's behind the curtain. And in their anger, they, they go and strip the curtain, they pull the curtain back. Only to reveal that behind the curtain, there was no wizard. But a little frail old man, who had no power, but was working a bunch of levers and buttons to pretend he had all these magical powers pretending to be this great and powerful wizard when they stripped the curtain back they realized the fraud that he was and he had led them on a wild goose chase the entire time getting them to prove that they had value to give them something and to make the story even weirder they they come to find out that every character already had what they were looking for Dorothy was unconscious, laying at home in her bed. She had never left home. The Tin Man already had a heart, the Scarecrow had a brain, and the Lion Egg courage. But the Wizard, pretending to be something that he's not, led them to believe that if they proved themselves, they would get what they already had. So what point does that have to our lives today? Well, the great theologian, and like the Wizard in the Wizard of Oz. All smoke and no mirrors pretending to be something, but when the curtain is pulled back, he's nothing but a frail old man with no power, working a bunch of illusions, getting us to believe that he is something that he is not, and if we prove ourselves... And so today in my message, The Struggle Is Real, I propose that the struggle that we face, while experientially might be real... Could it be that it's based on myths that the wizard has perpetrated pretending to be something that he's not? The struggle I'm talking about is the struggle that many people, people have with, with the flesh. Now let me qualify what the flesh is. The flesh, yes, is our skin. Pull your skin. Don't pull your neighbor's skin. They'll get mad at you for pinching them. But just pull your skin a little bit there. Pull your skin. Some of you are disobedient. Pull your skin. I want to make sure you're awake. I know it's hot in here today. Temperatures are hot, so you're, you know, not doing... No, no. When I'm talking about the flesh, I'm not talking about your physical skin. You may have... The flesh that I'm talking about, according to the scriptures, is the weaknesses that we find in ourselves. Those weaknesses may be in discipline, they may be in many areas. Now, I've had the privilege, and I say it's a privilege, to grow up in this church, if you will. I've been a part of it, this ministry for over 20 years. So sometimes I forget what's being taught outside these four walls. So I had to do a little homework to find out when it comes to teaching on the flesh, what's being taught. I was quite horrified that the main flow of the flesh was all about sex. I did this as the focus. And well, let me say, that is a weakness. It is a, work, it is a work of the flesh. That's true. Not making light of that. But if we are going to go hard after people for their weakness, then make sure we're equal in all playing fields. Because the scriptures tell us, Proverbs tells us, that there are seven deadly weaknesses, seven deadly sins. Yes, lust is one of them. But it's right up there on a playing field with eating the third piece of pecan pie called gluttony. Glory Glory to God, Pastor Peter says. I mean, can we speak actually, this is what the scriptures say, right? So if we're going to be hard at, uh, you know, after our weaknesses, go equal. I mean, let's just go full tilt. Third piece, you're right up there with spirit of lust. What are some of the others laziness who among us is not having a lazy afternoon where I could have been doing something productive But I just I was lazy. I Mean this is one of the seven deadly So if we're gonna, my point is when I talk about our weaknesses. Don't let your mind go to what religious teaching is all it just focuses on sex Can it be a weakness? Yeah, sure, but so can be depression So can be losing our joy. It's a weakness it's a lack of discipline my point today isn't to make isn't to beat you up for your weakness that's not the point of the gospel the point of the gospel you know sin weakness jesus said something, sin is far more than breaking a bunch of rules if that was it the old covenant sacrifices were enough just cover them see jesus presented a far more devastating view of sin and that was broken relationship and that's why jesus had to come Because back in relationship, our weaknesses turned to strengths, our desires changed, we're transformed by grace. I'm not here to beat you up today because of your weakness, but I am saying that sometimes we struggle with our weaknesses because of the myths that the evil one, the wizard, if you will, behind the curtain has lied to us and by believing that lie produces a struggle in our lives with the flesh, with weakness. Let me just pull back the curtain real quickly to show you who the devil is, who the evil one is. I call him the devil in 3D. You ready for the devil in 3D? It's going to be quick, so hold on to your chairs. Number one, he is defeated. Hebrews chapter 2, the scripture says that Jesus destroyed him who had the power of death. That is the devil. Number one, he is, say he is defeated. Number two, he is disarmed. He's disarmed. Colossians chapter two says Jesus disarmed the rulers, authorities. He put them to shame. He triumphed over them in it. Listen, if you're going to battle, you're assured victory if you disarm your enemy. That's why Donald Trump keeps meeting Kim Jong Il. He wants to disarm him of nuclear weapons. Whether he will or not, I'm not sure, Brother Dean. But, but he's trying. like to make fun of. But if you disarm the enemy, victory is won. Jesus disarmed the devil. Number one, he's defeated. Number two, he's disarmed. Number three, he is deceived. Devil in 3D. 2 Peter chapter 5, the scripture says, cast your cares on Jesus because he cares for you. And be sober. How do you be sober? By casting your cares. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, he walks about like. You know, if I walked about like uh, uh, Pastor Peter, does that make me Pastor Peter? No, I'm just pretending. He walks about like a lion. Doesn't mean he is a lion. But he walks about like a lion, seeking whom he may... He's a deceiver. He's a deceiver. He's the great wizard behind behind the curtain. And he dresses up. He's like a little tame kitty cat. Although kitty cats aren't very tame if you ever cross them. But the reality is he's like a little tame kitty cat, and yet he's walking about like a roaring lion. Why a lion? Because his greatest deception is he pretends to be God himself. You see, a lion is the this is picture of Jesus, lion of the tribe of Judah. So he pretends to be and to speak on behalf of God. What better sinister lie than to speak on behalf of the one that you trust? You know, if the devil were to come to you and I today, poof, show up right here, in a red suit with a pitchfork and horns coming out of him and smoke billowing, you know, red smoke and some ominous theme music, you would probably run that way, right? Well, no, those of you who know your authority in Christ, you'd stand up and rebuke the devil. But the rest of us, we'd run, right? But we wouldn't listen to him. So he doesn't do it that way. He comes to us, the scriptures say, as an angel of light. Second Corinthians calls him an angel of light. Of light. In fact, he masks, you know what a masquerade party is? You put up a, you put a mask on. Isn't it ironic that the prince of darkness comes as an angel of light? Why an angel of light? Because God is light. Christ Jesus is light. We are the light. But he comes pretending to speak on behalf of God. And what does he speak? He speaks accusation and guilt. He's called the accuser of the brethren. So he comes not as the devil. But he comes as God and says, you know, because of your weakness, God's mad at you. God's against you. You know, Jesus likened sin to a sickness. Jesus said, the sick, I mean the healthy don't need a doctor, the sick need a doctor. And then the very next breath he said, I've not come to save the unrighteous, I've come, I mean to save the righteous, I've come to save the unrighteous. You see, what happens when you, when your child gets sick? Do you just kick him to the curb for the weekend and say, you know when you're better? I have some experience. My son has been sick with laryngitis this weekend. Did I kick him to the curb and just say, come back in when you're better? So why do we think that our Heavenly Father, you got a weakness? Come back when you're better. It's not the way he operates. You see, Jesus, he disarmed the devil. Colossians 2, we already read it, but let's look at it in its context, verse 14, the verse before, and see what was the weapon that he took away from the devil. And the verse before it says, the record of debt that stood against you, he took away from the devil, disarming him. His main weaponry was the debt that you and I owed, but could never pay. It's been taken away. I mean, if Kim Jong Il lost his nuclear weapons, there's nothing stopping. Right? The war is over. The, and the weapon that was formed against you has been taken away. And now today, we do not have to listen to these lies. But the reality is that these lies are pervasive in the church, pervasive in our minds. Because like the wizard in The Wizard of Oz, he's very good at, spe- at doing a whole bunch of myths and lies. Thank God for the gospel. The gospel is like anti-fake news. You know, today we have fake news. You know all about fake news, right, Dean? Brother Trump, he just, you know, I've noticed though, I don't want to get sidetracked on politics, but if you're on the right and you don't like what someone's saying, it's fake news. If you're on the left and don't like what someone's saying, it's also fake news. Everything's fake news. If you don't like what someone's saying, it's fake news. But anyhow, I'm just back to my point here today. The gospel is an anti-fake news story. And people are believing these myths, these lies, that there's something we can prove, and then we can gain the victory. You know, the same thing happened to the Apostle Paul. You know, I'm not naive to think that it couldn't even happen at TICC. The great Apostle Paul, he planted a lot of churches, but then he'd write letters. He'd plant, he was the author of the Gospel of Grace, but then he'd write letters to those churches and say, "You're you're getting sidetracked. The Wizard of Oz is deceiving you. Galatians chapter 3, he said, Who has bewitched you or who has cast an evil spell over you? Because you're believing these myths. There's things I mean, that's strong language, bewitched, cast an evil spell. And so, could it be that there are myths that are keeping us in this struggle against our weaknesses today? Yes, here's a myth that keeps us trapped in the struggle. And it goes like this go ahead and put it up victory over your flesh. By the way, the scriptures call it sanctification, holiness. It's a lifelong struggle. Do you know that that's a myth? That is a myth from the evil one, that it's a lifelong struggle. And yet, like Dorothy, people are believing that myth. You know, C.S. Lewis said, you are what you believe. In other words, if you believe that you are in a lifelong struggle against your weaknesses, that's what you will encounter. That's why I said the struggle is real until it isn't. Today, we're pulling back the curtain. And I propose that you do not have to fight, uh, uh, have a lifelong battle against your flesh. It becomes very discouraging for people. They get discouraged trying to fight, trying to prove themselves, so they quit on their faith and they give up and leave. They say, what's the point, right? But see, that's not the message of the gospel. Now, to have a good myth, to to have a good lie, you have to have many layers of the lie, right? Now there's many layers to this myth that you have to have an endless struggle with your flesh, with your weaknesses. You know your, you know your desire for th- third piece of pecan pie. Stop thinking about sex. Think about gluttony. Okay, either which way, it's covered by grace. Thank God for that. But but it's a lie that we have to have this endless battle. So here's another myth, and it comes from the you know it's that you must die to your flesh every single day. And and, and the angel of light, remember, the evil one is an angel of light. So he comes with scriptures to prove what he's the myth. So he says, well, what about when Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, I die daily. I die daily. So he brings up this verse and says, see, you must die daily to your fleshly weaknesses and desires. You know, 99% of believers know that through those three words. Far fewer know the entire verse that it's written in. Why not look at the entire verse? Can we do that this morning? You have no choice. I'm not up here speaking. Put up the whole verse. Why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm that by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ our Lord, I die daily. If in the manner of man I fought with the beasts of Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? Is Paul talking about his weakness to have a third piece of pecan pie? No, he's talking about persecutions that are coming externally at him. And he's saying, I'm giving up my desires of a nice cushy life and I'm following him. But he's not talking about this proneness to stumble into fleshly desires in his life to eat a third piece of pecan pie. I'm going to harp on that because our minds just go to sex all the time. So pecan pie it is today getting hungry, aren't you? See, if I talk about sex all day, all you think about is sex by the time you went home. I bet you're going to go have a third piece of pecan pie by the time you go home today. See, whatever we focus on, but that's another sermon. But you see, Paul is not saying that you are going to have to kill this dirty, rotten flesh of yours every single day, kind of like guacamole. You know when you go to the the county fair, or wherever fair, and you know what guacamole is? It's like one head pops up and you bam, and then another one pops up and you bam. It's almost like you know you hit the you hit the pecan pie desire, but then then the slothfulness comes up and you hit that desire, and then you then you hit the lust desire. And then you know it's like whack a mole. You're just you're like a frantic mess trying to kill your flesh every day. I mean, it's it's mind bogglingly difficult. Thank God it's not the way it's meant to be. Can I hear an amen? But remember, many layers. Another layer to this myth, this lie, is that you have to crucify yourself every day. Crucify your desires, crucify your flesh every day. You're a bad person, so crucify yourself. Again, 99% of believers know the whole thing, crucify. And then we say, i got to work hard to kill myself, right? Life's tough, the Christian life is a struggle. Read the verse, Galatians 5 says, I have been... I mean, to me, that doesn't sound like it's about to happen. It sounds like something that's already... Am I, are we on the same page? I have been crucified, Paul says. It's not I who... Li- His old self is already gone. But Christ lives in me and those who belong to Christ. Who belongs to Christ? Those who have received this new life. Those who have, received, who have belonged to Christ. Is belonging to Christ a lifelong journey for yourself? Come on. No, it's a, you receive Christ. You belong to Christ. And your flesh was crucified the moment you received. In Christ, you're, he's not saying you've got to crucify it every day. He's saying it has been crucified, but the evil one, the angel of light, keeps with coming with these layer and layer of, of, of lies. Listen, if you were addicted to drugs, look at your neighbor, poke them and say, are you addicted? No, don't do that, actually. Never mind. Somebody got carried away up here. It wouldn't be your neighbor. It wouldn't be. You wouldn't be attending today. But let's say you were addicted to drugs and you died. I come to your funeral with some cocaine in my pocket. I don't have cocaine in my pocket. I've never had it in my pocket. But let's just say I had some cocaine. Laugh with me. Come on, you're looking so serious. Don't send the police after me. I don't got cocaine, okay? I got Kleenexes. I've been wiping a baby's nose all weekend long. I got Kleenexes, not cocaine. But anyhow. You're lying here in the casket, and I come to you, the addict, with my cocaine that I don't have. And I wave it under your nose. Are you going to sniff it? Well, why not? You're an addict, aren't you? You're dead. So Paul's saying, your fleshly evil desires, they died when Christ died on the cross. Believe it. Stop resurrecting your old self. Stop believing this myth. Remember, C.L. Lewis said, you are what you believe. So if you believe that you have this endless struggle, you're going to struggle your entire life. If you want it, go for it. But I don't want it, and I know you don't either. That's why you're here today. And I surely don't want it for you. But here's the granddaddy lie of them all. You ready for this? Can't hear you. You ready for this? It's another level of myth. And it comes from Romans chapter 7. Don't put it up yet. But Oh yeah, put that up. No, no, you're right. Put the myth up. That's good. Not the verse here. Myth says... With his flesh. And Paul's been saying, See, you are going to sin and you're going to be defeated. And it was the most depressing sermon I've ever heard. Thank God for messages of hope and grace here at the ICC. But anyhow, So we say the Apostle Paul, and then we pick out the three verses. Go ahead and put up Romans seven fifteen. Again, a lot of people know this verse. The other verses that I'm going to put up, not so much. 99% know this. What I will to do, I don't practice, but what I hate, that I do. For what is in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. Therefore we consider, I am a wretched man, nothing good lives in me. And people teach this, people believe this. It's a myth. It is a downright myth, and it's not what Paul was teaching. Now, let me ask you a question. What comes before Romans 7? Okay, good, you're very smart this morning. Romans 6, let's go to Romans 6 and see what Paul says. Romans 6, 5, your old sin-loving loving nature, your flesh was buried with him in baptism when he died. So, it sounds completely different than Romans 7, doesn't it? Roman, on the Romans 7, he's saying, I'm a wretched man. Here he's saying, your sin-loving nature, it died, it's gone. So let's keep reading, right? What comes next after 6 comes 7. Go to 7 verse 1. Remember, we keep reading. And we're going to come to that that horrific myth that we kind of pull out. He says, or do you not know, brethren? For I speak to those who know the law. Who is Paul talking to here? He's talking to believers who are under the law at one point. They know the law. At one point they were under the law. In other words, he's talking about his life pre-Christ. He says, you know that the law is dominion over man as long as he lives. Go to the next verse. Therefore, you have become dead to the law. He's not leaving you in that hopeless state. He's referring you back to your death in Christ. You no longer have an obligation in your own strength and ability to keep the law. No, you died to it in Christ. And we keep reading. We keep reading. For when we were in the... So watch. When we were past tense. What is he doing? He's doing flashbacks. It's like if I had a flashback to my honeymoon and I'm reliving it. Paul is reliving what it was like before the cross, before grace came, before he was freed from the law in Christ. He's remembering what it was like trying to fulfill the law in his own effort. And he says, when I was in that state, not that I am now, but when I was then, the sinful passions, they were aroused by the law. But now I have been delivered from the law, having died to what I was held by. He's not saying this is your current state of being. He's saying that's what it was like before. Reject it. Paul's pretty good, I think, too. So so then let's continue on. Because then comes... So we keep reading. Then he goes back into... For what I, We already read it. For what I will to do, I don't practice. But what I hate that I do, for what's in me, that is in my flesh, spells well no good thing, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. Remember, he's speaking pre-Christ. But then he says, I remember back when I was in that state of being, I was hopeless, I felt like a wretch, I felt like there was no hope. But then I discovered Christ, and in Him there was help. He crucified my flesh, my evil desires. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the very next verse, what comes after... 7 Oh you're you're very smart this morning Dr. Betty, a school teacher, they're there an A-plus crowd here today. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The very weapon, Colossians 2, that the enemy had against us, taken away, no more condemnation. Don't think for a moment that you're a wretch and will struggle with your sinful evil desires. They were crucified in Christ, but the myth that the evil one comes, the great illusionist he comes and he says, you'll struggle your whole life, and that belief causes people to stay stuck in these evil desires, To eat three, three Pieces of pecan pie, you stay stuck because we believe it. I'm using pecan pie as a joke, you understand that here today, but 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 but, but, but you get the point, right? We've got to reject this lie. Your old sin loving nature was put to death. So let's go back to the first lie that was the main myth. That again, go back to this that life will be a lifelong struggle <sighs> to be holy. To be sanctified. Hebrews chapter 10 puts it this way. It says, I think it's 10. If I got the scripture wrong, just correct me. Yeah, it's Hebrews 10. For by one offering, how many offerings? He has perfected forever. That's you. Perfected, holy, sanctified forever. Those who are sanctified. Are watch, watch me for a second. You know holy means Pure. You know, this false religious teaching teaches us that, you know, know, Dr. Betty, she's about 98% holy, but then then Brother Nathan, he's about 78% holy, and others are... You can't be on a scale of holiness. Think about the impracticality of it. If I had a nice cool drink of water up here, and I put 1% poop into that water, do you want to drink it? Because that water, there's no partially impure water, it's either pure or impure. To think that you're partially holy, you're just fully unholy. But you're not in Christ. You were made holy. You were sanctified. Your old self died. Your old desires died. That's not you anymore. Now watch this. Remember this myth, the, the great illusionist, the man behind the curtain, the Wizard of Oz. He even twists verses. I mean, remember, he's an angel of light. He takes this. There are certain translations. It says, for by one offering, he's pr- go to the next one. For by ever he's... Fr- those who are being sanctified. So people grab onto the being part and say, see, it's not a one-time thing, it's a journey of becoming. No, it's not. Be like me saying, all my friends are getting married. In other words, they're getting married one by one at different times. Their marriage isn't a lifetime journey, right? I mean, the moment you were married, you were married, right? It's a one-time ceremony. And what Paul's describing here is that when a person comes to faith in Christ, they're made holy, they're sanctified in that place, but people are coming at different times and seasons to receive that free gift. It does not mean that you are partially holy or partially say, I am fully holy today. You're sanctified. New creation. Old things have passed away. Stop battling with this. This wizard says you prove yourself, then you'll find victory. No, victory's already yours. You're a new creation. Sin to you. Weaknesses to you. The third piece of pecan pie to you is like a third shoe. My brother Dave, you don't need a third shoe. Why? Why doesn't Dave need a third shoe? He's only got two legs. You don't, have, you don't have sinful desires because your sinful nature was crucified on the cross. Yes, the experience can be very real at times, but we've got to reject the myth and come back to the reality. In the You say, what about in the midst of my struggle? First, That's the best time to come back to remind yourself in the midst of your weakness and struggle. I know who I am. I'm set apart, sanctified, made holy. I am not struggling against this. I was put to death. I'm like the drug dealer the drug addict when I when the drug dealer d- drug addict died his desires to partake in the cocaine died with him your desires for the third piece of pecan pie your desires for the for the slothfulness for the lust they're dead start to believe that in the midst maybe you say I'm head up I'm head up t- I'm head over heels in my weakness right now. All I can think about is pecan pie. It's the best time to remind yourself. It's the only way out in the moment we receive believe that lie Something changes. You see, if we're wrestling against sin, like, the, like religion teaches us to do, we're simply wrestling and shadow boxing a shadow, a lie. Stop it. Rest in the victory that Christ has given. You see, we preach this. I made jokes earlier that I have not have been exposed to this type of religious teaching, much so I have to go back and to, to remind myself. But the reality is you can hear ten grace messages, one message of legalism will bring you right back into those. That place of lies. That place of defeat and struggle. You were not created for struggle. You're created... How hard is it for a butterfly to be a butterfly? It's not hard. A butterfly just is who it is. How hard is it for an antelope to glide over the Serengeti as it will when Pastor Peter takes a tour of you to Tanzania later this year? How hard is it for an antelope just to glide over the Serengeti? It's not hard. It's just being who it is. How hard is it for an apple tree to bear beautiful apples. It's not hard. You don't see it in a tree. uh, Popping the apples out. It just bears the fruit because it's who it is. See, that's how the life of holiness and victory and sanctification works. You're just being who you are. You are holy, sanctified, victorious. In the midst of your struggle, you're still sanctified, holy, and righteous. It's who you are. And if you simply accept that reality by saying no to these wizards, there's a restful victory that comes in life. I believe for victorious. I'm not making light of the flesh or the weaknesses. I'm, I'm believing for everyone to have victory, great discipline, full of joy. Full of victory in every area of life, absolutely. In our relationships, in our health. But I recognize that through struggle, we will forever come up short. But when we just be who we are, look at your neighbor and say, be who you are. There's a restful victory, amen? Do you believe that today, TICC? Give a big hand clap to Jesus, amen?